I've never considered myself to be a religious man. Even though, uh, in most cases, I respect and appreciate those who do subscribe to a more structured theological point of view. I don't have or make time for religious fanaticism or the fire and brimstone style of devotion as these old world practices just seem over the top to me and a form of old tech, as it were. I believe that there's a time and a place for everything and I also believe in a higher power. What that power is definitively, I'm not sure, but I do believe that there is something bigger than all of us out there somewhere in the void. As I get older and hopefully wiser, I find that studying the world religions and spiritual modalities can be both educational and uplifting at the same time. I suppose I view spirituality and religion the same way that I view higher learning, forgive the pun, in that in order to obtain a degree in college, one must read and study many books written by men and women from all walks of life. I believe the same to be true about religion. To assume that a person can learn and obtain everything they'll need in order to be in the know and to be fulfilled in their lives by simply reading one or two books or sets of spiritual texts just seems nonsensical to me. These doctrines are sometimes called the canon, which is often a fitting use of the word given that some people will try to weaponize the words in these books in an attempt to start a war with the non-believers, which completely defeats the purpose. The show today isn't about who's right and who's wrong. It's about reminding the listener that wherever you are in your thinking, whether you be a believer, an agnostic, or an atheist, none of us have all the answers. And anybody that claims that they do is full of shit, plain and simple. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen. Back in a moment. Well, I think the other thing that, that Max Weber was getting at was also the loss of religion. And you can, you can look at that in a couple of ways. I mean, maybe, you know, we have uh, gotten rid of a lot of sort of the religious superstitions that clearly were wrong. And yet, on the other hand, if you remove that sort of that spiritual life that was so dominant in people's mental space, have we lost something there? I mean, has the world become disenchanted because we rely so much on, on rationality? I think it can be helpful here to distinguish a bit between religion and spirituality. And, and they do overlap. They're not completely distinct. When we talk about a religious practice, we're talking about belief and or behavior that follows the tenets of a particular religious tradition. And there is a wonder component to that. I think that religions generally draw our attention to the less explainable, the less 
easily accommodated aspects of life, birth and death and being and meaning and how we are connected uh, uh, to the universe as a whole, though that's sort of the, the domain that, that religion fills. To the extent that we walk away from religion as a way of understanding, in some ways we're walking away from those questions and, and we've definitely done that, in at least in the United States. Um, I think it's helpful to define spirituality differently, and at least within psychology, it is defined differently. So spirituality is often defined as the perception or even the sensation that you as an individual are very small, but that you are connected to an interdependent, much larger whole, whether that's humanity or the living earth or the universe. That is really what spirituality is about, and that comes awfully close to how we describe the sense of awe. In fact, it overlaps quite strongly with things people say about what it feels to be in awe. I mean, that's a fascinating... That was a clip from a panel interview on the Nora Foundation's YouTube channel with social psychologist Michelle Shiota, providing some insight into the similarities and differences, if you will, between religion and spirituality. One of the other contributors, a writer from the UK named Casper uh, Henderson, also pointed out, and I agree with him fully, that religion provides an incredible sense of community through fellowship and that many people, especially today, I would say, attend church on Sundays and church-related functions in order to feel that sense of community, which makes all the sense in the world to me. All that said, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Atypical Man podcast. Glad to have you here. You know, the older I get, the more I, I realize that everybody, in their own way, <clears throat> pardon me, needs, or at least wants, to have something to hold on to, something to believe in, something that will inspire them, something will motivate them. And this has gone on since the beginning of time. It doesn't much matter what those things are. It's how they make us feel. I remember when I was a kid that my mother would take me around to all the different churches in town. We didn't have many. I grew up in a really small, uh, really small town in rural Wisconsin. And she took me around to a bunch of the different churches there in town just to see if there was anything that was of interest to me or appealing to me or that maybe I could learn something from while I was there. And nothing ever really stuck. I mean, she and I had conversations then, and we still have conversations now about uh, religion and spirituality, philosophy, all these things, which I'm very thankful for. She's been an incredible coach and teacher for me my entire life. And I hope she knows that. I'm pretty sure that she does. <laughs> but we would make the rounds to all these different churches, and nothing really stuck for me. Um, I had friends, one in particular, who was very involved with his church. Um, I went a few times with him just because he and I were friends. 
I think I even went on a, uh, what do you call those? Those trips. What are they called? A, uh, oh my goodness. I'll think of it. Why can't I think of this? Anyway, we went on this trip that was sponsored by his church. It was a retreat. Good Lord. And it was all, it was a bunch of the younger kids from the church. It was kind of like a day camp type situation. And I just, <clears throat> good grief. I remember feeling out of place. Um, I would ask questions and I wasn't shot down, but there was somewhat of a giggle factor. Like the questions I were at, I was asking should have been self-evident in the minds of the people who I was asking. And I remember thinking then, even as young as I was, this is not how this should be. Especially if it's a younger kid. If they have questions, answer them to the best of your ability. And also remind them that when it comes to things like this, they've got to make up their own mind. The more that we try to force anything really, but religion especially, on kids saying, well, if you don't do it this way, you're going to go to hell. Or if you don't live your life this way, you're going to somehow be punished after this life is over, is ludicrous to me. It's insane. Have and subscribe to whatever system of belief that you choose. But we've got to let people get there on their own. If they're asking questions, they're interested or they want to learn more. And as they learn more, they will make that decision on their own. I've even, since being an adult, when I was living in California, a dear friend of mine was also very heavily involved with his church and brought me in one Sunday to both the service and a meeting after. I think there was, I don't want to say it was a, a training program because that sounds dismissive, but there was a, a meeting of both grown and younger men after the church sitting around in a circle discussing ideas and discussing things that were written in the Bible and kind of developing their own interpretation. And I remember asking a question. This kid couldn't have been more than 16, 17 at the time, maybe 18. I'll have to ask that buddy of mine. And he read me a passage from a section of the Bible. I couldn't even tell you what it was. And I remember asking him a question that made that passage or that would have allowed that passage to be applicable in everyday life. And I was very polite. I was not being um, argumentative or rude. I asked a simple question and I formed it in such a way that it would apply directly to what he just spoke about. I will never forget the look on his face because when I asked him the question, I could see in his eyes and on his face and through his body language, one, nobody had ever asked him that question before. And two, he had no idea how to answer it. And I don't say that with glee or with any kind of glibness, but I saw another door open in his mind because if he was going to be mentoring 
or witnessing or delivering information to people out on the road in the future, these were all things that he was going to encounter. And he, he made that realization with how I formed the question and how I delivered it. And just seeing that look, knowing in him, in himself and realizing that, wow, I, I have a long way to go, gave me hope. I wasn't very old at that time either. I was probably in my early 30s. Is that right? Yeah. My early 30s. Late 20s, early 30s. And that's as it should be. We should be able to ask questions and not feel that we're somehow doing something wrong or putting people on the spot. It's okay to ask questions. And I don't much care what the topic is. We're focusing mainly on religion and spirituality in this discussion. But if you have questions about the goings-on at your job, or if you have questions for your spouse or your significant other or your children, ask the question. Not only are you going to learn something that maybe you didn't know up until that point, but again, you're going to be creating that sense of community and family. You're going to be reinforcing your relationships because one, asking questions shows that you care, that you actually give a damn. Two, when these people see and notice that we are listening intently, waiting for the answer, and that we're not just waiting to hit them with another one, it's developing a bond. We're creating and again, reinforcing and strengthening that relationship, those relationships, and it's happening in real time. So if you're looking at something like religion or a spiritual modality, and you're trying to learn more about it to see how it might fit in your life, asking questions and obtaining clarity is the only real way for you or me to do that. It should be invited. So anytime I come across these groups of people or even individuals who follow a specific organized religion or structured form of theology and they become dismissive or discontent or irritated when you ask them questions, almost as if you should just automatically subscribe and they shouldn't have to put in any work to explain to you what they're a part of. I'm not talking about a cult or any of these types of things. I'd like to assume, I'd like to think that those of you listening to this with an earshot of my voice would be able to tell and discern a situation like that right out of the gate. If you stumble into a cult type situation, your spidey senses should be just buzzing off the charts. And if they're not, I hope that you've got somebody in your life that can help you identify that. If it's a true to form cult type situation, make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, these groups still exist. Very much so do exist. They go by different names now. They go by different tenants now. 
but they are cults nonetheless. And it doesn't take much of a search on the internet to find and understand what I'm talking about. Conversation for another day. Be careful with those. Be careful with those. As it, as religion pertains to some of the more dark moments in our lives, it's easy. And again, I understand why to lean back into structured and organized religion. Even what most of us would call just ordinary prayer. I have no problem with prayer. It's like meditation. They're one and the same. You're putting yourself in a quiet space and you're trying to create a dialogue, a conversation, if you will, with this celestial being, this God or source type entity. I understand all that. The conversations that are had or that I've witnessed in my own life, when people say, well, prayer doesn't work. Well, how do you know? Well, I ask for all these things and I don't get them. Okay. Since when does prayer or even meditation for that matter, follow your timetable? And if there is a type of intelligent source out there in the ether, what makes you think that just by you asking, you're going to receive it. And especially on your timetable. The things we ask for might not always be the things we actually need. Keep in mind, folks, I can't prove any of this. This is 100% speculation on my part. I wouldn't say it's a belief system, more of a, like we discussed in the last show, more of a philosophy, a way of looking at things and a way of interpreting things. But to dismiss something like prayer or meditation out of hand because things aren't happening as fast as you'd like them to happen, it's counterintuitive. Make the time for prayer. Make the time for meditation. It's the same with working out. You think you're going to go to the gym and the next day you're going to wake up with a six-pack and just be ripped? That isn't how this works. It takes time. It takes work. And if you put in the time and you put in the work, you will see the results. However subtle or distant they may be. Time is not necessarily as linear as we think it is. Again, possibly a topic for a podcast in and of itself sometime down the road. But time is not, it does not mean the same thing to other people and certainly not to some type of creative being that exists somewhere outside of our reality. He, it might be a part of it, but not necessarily within it, if that makes sense. It's, it can get really convoluted and muddy entering into these conversations, which is why I don't think, which is why I think a lot of people avoid them because it requires too much thought. 
Well, that, that, that kind of stuff just makes my brain hurt. Well, I understand that. But how are we ever going to get to the answers that we're looking for if we don't ask the questions? Full circle, right? Leaning into prayer and meditation, especially in the dark moments, when we're going through some really heavy things, is a wonderful idea. And I promote it completely. Like I said, you might not see the results or reap the benefits of either of them right out of the gate, but be patient with yourself. Be, be patient with the process because these things do take time. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of deal. And patience across the board is something that I've had to work on my entire life especially if it's something that I know is going to help somebody that I care about, whatever the case may be, if there's something that they need and I'm not able to get it to them, I'm not able to provide it for them or to them. I get really impatient with the process sometimes. So I'll meditate or I'll have my own conversation with deity, with source saying, please help this person. It's out of my hands. If there is something you can do, please help them, you know, and I think being humble and turning over that control to this source figure, if it does exist, because none of us know we have our own beliefs on it, but if it does exist, why not give that a shot? Why not at least try? What do you have to lose? It can't make things worse. It can only make things better. You know what I mean? And it's it's definitely a place to start. It's definitely a place to start. Spirituality seems to, to me anyway, to be more of an exploration into the ideas and possibilities as it pertains to theology and what people refer to as God or source, any of these other names. For me, and I believe this is the appeal for someone like me, it's more of a philosophical interpretation. And it allows for somewhat of a hodgepodge of ideas to simmer together in this interpretive stew. The idea that it is or can only be practiced or understood in one way is absolutely ridiculous to me. Just like we discussed or just like I discussed in the intro today, it's, it boils down to discipline and trying to place limitations on this creating this inc incredibly restrictive dynamic is just that it's very restrictive and if it doesn't allow for questions what are we doing if you're looking into discipline of any kind for that matter and it doesn't allow for questions while we're on the road to understanding, then it serves no purpose, at least not for someone like me. Speaking as someone who has spent 
who spent many years on active duty, I know all about structure and discipline. And again, like I said during the intro of the show, there's a time and a place for everything. But religion is not like, nor should it be like, blindly following the orders of a ranking officer in the military. If you're in a war situation and accomplishing the mission is the only goal, then yes, orders need to be followed. So long as they're not grossly uh, negligent and aren't being given by someone that is completely incompetent. I experienced this in the military. I always appreciated it when our team or squadron leaders would allow us to ask questions about the goings-on during just standard run-of-the-mill day-to-day operations. But we had a couple of individuals on the deployments that I did go on that were so completely inept, they became dangerous. They had no concept of security. They had no concept of morale. It was like they didn't care. It was like the rest of us didn't exist outside of the orders that they were trying to give or issue. So we would have to band together and find a way to deliver this message to or through this ranking individual saying, look, you're going to get people hurt doing it this way. If you've got an ax to grind, you need to take it somewhere else. You doing things this way is going to get people hurt badly. It'd be different during peacetime or if we weren't deployed and you were working at a desk or you're just working in a regular shop and we had our own safety protocols in place. But while you're in country, some of these people issuing orders shouldn't have been there in the first place, in my opinion. How they got there and how they got into the positions that they did, I will never understand. These things happen all the time. But as it pertains to religion, you have similar type of people. A similar group of people issuing commands and orders through doctrine, which I understand, the commandments, saying, well, if you're not living your life this way, you're in sin. And taking it as far in some cases to say, If you don't change your ways, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Hell is a completely... (sighs) I'm trying to find the word without sounding disrespectful. Hell is a hell of a concept to me. When you really sit down and think about what this place is, what it means, what it stands for, and how it's become a form of future punishment or eternal punishment and damnation if you don't live your life or we don't live our lives a certain way while we're here, if that makes sense. I'll put it to you this way. I think our friend Bill Shakespeare had it right when he said, hell is empty and all the devils are here. We deal with evil people in our personal and our professional lives all the time. And I think if we were to sit back and take a real hard look 
at how many truly evil people that we've met in our lives. I'm not talking about people that are mean or cruel or just have a bad attitude. I'm talking about truly evil people. I was thinking about this the other day. I watched for the first time, I read the book years ago uh, by Dean Koontz. It's a book called Odd Thomas. And I watched the movie for the first time on Sunday. And I the, the movie took such a hard turn, no spoilers. It took such a hard turn towards the end. It was, I just, the things that happened, I didn't see coming. But the story centers around this guy whose name is Odd Thomas. And he has this ability, call it psychic, clairvoyant, um, highly, highly uh, sensitive and empathic. He has the ability to talk with the dead and help bring them justice, if you will, in the afterlife by bringing their killer to justice. And the, the book and the movie have everything. It's got comedy. It's got sci-fi. It's got a love story. It's got everything. And in one of the scenes, the main character goes into this house and he finds a portal to hell. And he's the only one that can see these creatures, these like demon type creatures that just come flying and swarming out of this portal. And the more I think about it, the older I get, not only do I think that there's really no use, there's really no point to an actual physical place like hell in the afterlife. Punishment doesn't work the same way, in my opinion, in the celestial world as it does on earth. A place like that would serve no purpose. Now, at the same time, and this one's going to rev a bunch of you up, possibly. Maybe it won't. I'm not entirely sure a place like heaven exists either, where we just go and we sit on a cloud or we hang out with old friends and family, relatives for eternity. Because if it's true that energy can't be created or destroyed, it just changes form. The whole idea would be to get as many experiences as possible through multiple lifetimes. Am I saying reincarnation is real? I don't know. I think it could be. And it's one of those things where we're not going to know until we experience it. When this life is over and we move into that next realm, that next experience, none of us know for sure. People have come back and told stories, you know, when their heart is stopped on an operating table or they've died and seen someplace, seen things, and then came back to tell the story. It's very difficult to discern and determine how many of these stories are true. And it all comes down to believability and the person that is telling the story. And the only people that know that type of person are the ones that are in their lives. So when something like this happens to someone, they come out, they come back to life, and then they write a book, or they're part of a documentary series about it, about life after death, the afterlife. The only people that are going to really know whether or not what they're saying is either true or that what they're saying is believed by the person who's saying it are the people that are in their lives that know them the best. Family members, close friends. Anybody else could look at that and go, this is a crock. They're doing this to sell books. They're doing this to get attention for what any number of reasons, any host of reasons. 
But for me, a place like hell serves no purpose. Not even for the most evil people that have ever existed. People like Hitler, Stalin, Mao, all these people that just committed mass murder or serial killers or people that have done just truly wicked things in their human life. I just don't think it serves a purpose, nor do I think it serves a purpose when we die to go to this place called heaven where we just sit around on clouds and blab all day. Oh, that was a great experience. Yeah, we're just going to sit up here and do nothing for eternity. I'm not saying that that's not a reward, especially if you've lived a good life. But wouldn't the reward be even better if after this life was over, you had the review that everybody talks about, not necessarily Judgment Day, but a life review. You go over the things that you've learned, the mistakes that you've made, and depending on how you negotiated that life here will determine what kind of experience you have next time, i.e. through reincarnation, if something like that exists, because I don't know if it does or not. I'd like to think it does because it, it opens up the door to more possibilities across multiple lifetimes. You know that feeling you get sometimes when you meet somebody and you just feel like you've met them before, even though you haven't? And people will actually say the word or the phrase, I think I knew you in another life. I think there's something to that. Again, I can't prove that, but I feel it in my bones. And I've met people like this. I've met people who I had never met before. But when you sit down and you start talking, you're going, I swear I've met you before, even though I know that we haven't. I feel like I've known you maybe in another life. And it's not always reciprocated, but the interesting times, the interesting situations are when they feel the same way. When they say something like, you know what? I swear to God, I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> See how I slipped swear to God in there? That was pretty nice, huh? <laughs> this is what living is. This is part of the human experience. This is why there are so many different varieties of thought and belief. When it comes to religion and spirituality, when it comes to what happens when we die, when we leave this body behind. Because again, if we're made up of energy, and energy is not created or destroyed, it just is, it has to go somewhere. And to take an energetic body, like the soul, for example, and dump it into a place where nothing exists apart from torture, sadness, regret, loss, even something as strong as hatred, where you just sit and you burn for eternity, it serves no purpose for me. And on the other side of the spectrum, if you lived a great life, you were a good person, you did the best you could, you made some mistakes, you said and did some things that maybe you shouldn't have, but you learned from those mistakes along the way. For me, it's the same when it comes to a place like heaven in the afterlife. It's such a limitation. And by definition, as energetic bodies, I don't think we have those types of limitations. I think we place those limitations on ourselves while we're here in order to give ourselves something to look forward to because the idea and thought of death can be so scary. Well, when my life is over, I'm not going to be able to see any of these people again. We don't know that. 
And I think this is where things like deja vu come into play and things like, man, I feel like I've, I feel like I've known you in another life. That's when all of these things come in. Is it possible that when we leave this life, while we were here, we were in a, how do we, how do I say this? We were in a state of forgetting, like forgetfulness, meaning that we forgot where we came from, what we did last time. Because can you imagine if we were to bring all of those memories in, all of that love, all of those people, all of those relationships, can you imagine if we were born into this life, into each incarnation, remembering all of those things, we would go mad. There would be such a longing and such a feeling of disappointment and depression because we know that those people from the last life aren't here with us in this one. It would drive us absolutely crazy. So we go into this state of forgetfulness. And when we leave this incarnation, we go back into remembering. And because time, again, is not a linear thing, I don't think, in a situation or a place like that, all of the memories come flooding back along with the ones that we made in this incarnation. So we keep building on it each and every time we pass through an incarnation or we pass through an experience. I know this is getting a little esoteric and might sound really strange or bonkers to some of you. Believe me, I get it. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. It's the wondering. And if such a thing as promise does exist, meaning is there a promise of some kind after we leave this place. Whether it's being amongst our family and friends that passed before us, or the promise that once we move through that review and we get to the other side of it, we get to choose. We get to decide what we do next, who we are next, where we go next. You want to talk about the ultimate definition of free will? To me, for me, that's it. That is the ultimate definition of free will. We leave an experience, an incarnation, i.e. our lives in this place. We go into this review, this little reviewing area, if you will, and we look back on the experiences we had here. We go through all the feelings. We go through all the, the pain, the hurt, the love. Everything that we've learned is summed up in that experience. And then we get to choose, we get to decide, maybe even with all of those people that we were here with going, you want to do it again? You want to go on another ride? Who should we be this time? Where should we go this time? I'm not saying you get to spick, spick. Wow, that is not what I meant at all. I'm not saying you get to pick. I'm not saying that you get to pick. I'm not necessarily subscribing to predestination or predetermination. You get to choose certain experiences, whatever those experiences might be. Maybe you want to change genders next time. Maybe you want to change from being a human to being an animal. I, I don't know how it works. I have no idea. But these are the questions that I ask myself because nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows what is going to happen on the other side because we haven't personally been there. Like I said, people come back with stories, but if we don't experience it ourselves, it's really difficult to deduce or determine what is real and what isn't. Even the definition of reality, in my opinion, is going to dramatically change once we get to the other side. 
there would be no reason for the reality there to be as it is here with the limitations, the restrictions. It just doesn't seem that that would make any sense. The idea of being boundless and having any kind of opportunity or experience that we would like to have across multiple lifetimes has always made more sense to me than the possibility of some of us going to a place like hell while other of us, other of us, others of us go to a place like heaven. And I know that's not a popular idea. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to be rude or dismissive. But these are the questions I ask myself, and these are the questions that I ask to the people I'm closest to in my life. Well, what do you think? What do you think happens? Keep in mind, there is no wrong answer. But I do wonder. So when it comes to what happens next, it's okay to say, I don't know. But here's what I think. Here's what I wonder about. Will I have an opportunity to share a space with someone that I cared about deeply in this experience? Whether it's a spouse, a child, a close friend. Will I have an opportunity to share a experiential space with them the next time? I certainly hope so. Circumstances may and most likely will be different. But I think the energy and the connection that exists or exists between certain souls is infinite. I don't think any of that ever goes away. I think we're drawn to each other, which is why I truly believe that if reincarnation is real, if it's real, we elect going into that new experience to have it with those souls that meant the most to us, had the most impact, made us feel like we could do anything, reminded us that no matter who we are, barring something just crazy happening, that they're going to be in our corner going, whatever it is you're trying to do, you can do this. Find your own way to do it. Just do it. Do your best not to hurt anybody along the way. And if you do, don't repeat those mistakes. And no, I'm not talking about criminal activity. I'm talking about letting people down, not meeting expectations, any of these things. Again, this is all speculation. It is for all of us. So if you do go to church and you have a belief system, I respect it. If you are confused or you have questions, you're, you tip more towards the agnostic arena. That's fine too. If you're an atheist, that's fine too. It all comes down to our delivery system when it comes to our beliefs. If you're trying to choke somebody out with what you believe or what you think you know, just don't do that. Speak your piece. Tell your story. Explain your beliefs to people. Be able to back up those beliefs with experience, with stories about how you arrived at that system of thought. 
but trying to, excuse me, trying to choke somebody out with a belief or value system, you're not going to get anywhere. And on a much, much smaller scale, we see this in the world of sales and retail because every, every company thinks they do it best. And while some companies do it better, people buy for their own reasons. They don't like to be sold, but they love to buy. They, they want to make that choice. They want to make that decision. They want to have as much information as they can to make a decision. So if they feel that they're not being forced into it, all the better. But the moment we try to force something on someone and then threaten them with some type of punishment if they don't subscribe or adhere, we've lost the argument. You will get nowhere with most people unless you're dealing with someone who is highly impressionable, gullible, or doesn't want to do any of their own thinking. And those people do exist. They absolutely do exist. But ramming it down somebody's throat, no. That serves no purpose. So this volley that we have through conversation and life experience when it comes to the goings-on at church or trying your best to develop more of a spiritual aspect or element in your own life, all of that is going to be decided or should be decided by you, not somebody else. I understand as kids, parents have a tendency to tell them, look, you are going to church with us on Sunday. You're in a tough spot there. Thankfully, I never had to go through that. Not much, not with my immediate family. But as it, as the situation evolves and we start to understand more about ourselves and who it is we're trying to be based on who we once were and also who we surround ourselves with, the people in our lives, whether we want to admit it or not, are very involved in this, which is why it's so important to be selective when it comes to the people that you do have in your life, what kind of people you surround yourself with how they make you feel, the kinds of conversations that you have. I was watching a video, I think it was on, I think it was either on TikTok or YouTube Shorts last night about how changing your thinking, I'm paraphrasing, I'm losing the entire thread now. It was something along the lines of, show me the people you surround yourself with and I'll show you the person. If you feel like you're being, mm, not snubbed, if you feel like you're being gagged, like the people around you are saying, don't do that, don't say that, well, it's, it's something that's on my mind, I want to talk about it. Nope, no, you shouldn't, no, definitely don't do that. You're not hanging around the right people. Even if they think they're trying to protect you, that isn't their place, that isn't their business. If you have something you want to get off your chest, you have something you want to talk about because you have questions and asking those questions and having that conversation is not going to physically injure somebody, have the conversation. If what you're about to say could put somebody's life in danger or potentially bring them harm, then you have a decision to make.
How important is this thing that you're about to bring up? Why do you think so many people will unload and unpack so much heavy shit when they go to confession at church? And it's just them and the priest or the deacon or whatever the terminology is. They feel that they can bring up more because they feel open to do so. And I think some of us would be surprised at how few people, how a lot of people don't have somebody like that to go to in their lives. They either stay shut up in their houses, they don't feel like they can talk to anybody at work, they don't feel like they can talk to any of their friends or family about it, so they feel like they're on their own. I know exactly how these people feel. I'm very close with my family. I feel like I can talk to them about just about anything. I'm in a situation where I don't have too many friends left in my life. I try to talk to them when I can. I don't talk to them often enough, I'll tell you that. Life gets in the way sometimes. It's not an excuse, but it's it's the truth. We make time for the things that matter. And even I have to do better when it comes to that. But as it pertains to religion and or spirituality, you've got to cut your own path. We all do. And finding people who are willing to have those conversations with us when we're lost in the not knowing, or we feel like we're lost in the not knowing, those are the people you want to keep around. Those are the relationships that are going to flourish and develop over time to the point where you can quite literally talk about anything without getting side eye or without the other person passing all kinds of judgment onto you. And I think it's a great place to start. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I am learning new things every single day. And I'm grateful for that. I learn new things about myself. I learn new things about other people. I learn how to better, excuse me, how to be a better person, how to be a better man, how to be a better father. Because if we're not growing, if we're not learning, we are quite literally dying. And it's going to start to feel that way when we stagnate. That feeling you get when it just feels like you're spinning your wheels. What are you doing in your downtime? I understand we all need time to unwind, especially if it's been a long day at work or if it's been a long week, long month, long year. I get it. But if we're not finding ways to improve upon ourselves as best we can, as best we know how to do, we will stagnate. And we'll start getting that sick feeling, that knot in our stomach, knowing that something's not right. Or that we're not doing the things that we could be doing to improve our lot, even if it's only mentally or emotionally. Like I've said before, we have to start somewhere. And if we're willing to start on ourselves, we are going to be so much better for other people. Because the fact of the matter happens to be, ladies and gentlemen, some of us are not ready for other people. I know that's a very broad statement, but it's true. If we, don't, if we don't feel okay about ourselves and with ourselves, 
how are we going to feel or be okay with others? If we don't love and respect ourselves, how the hell are we going to love and respect other people? We haven't learned how to do it for ourselves yet. What business do we have? Going out and subjecting other people to that. I'm guilty of this. Trying to force myself to be ready for something when I'm not. Either because I'm working on myself or other things are requiring my attention so I can't give enough attention to this other thing or this other person. But we learn and we do the best we can not to make those mistakes because it can be very damaging and destructive. And you start to leave a trail of destruction behind you. And wouldn't it be nice one of these days to be able to look back and not only not see fire or smoke, but just see what you've learned. You've learned a lot about yourself. You've made new memories. You've done all of these things that you can possibly do to create a better you, if, if, if that's possible for you. But you got to start believing that for yourself. I can't help you do that. Your family, friends, they can't help you do that. We can offer suggestions, but the real action, the real change is going to come from you. It has to. Which is why I think at the very least by exploring world religions or exploring spirituality would be a great conduit in terms of achieving that particular goal. Because what's the alternative? We stay in the not knowing, we stay in the ignorant, and we stagnate. And at that point, we're not even moving forward. We're barely standing still. In some cases, we regress. We go backwards. And life tends to feel so much harder in those moments. Like we can't quite catch up. We can't quite get there. But we've got to be willing to do the work on ourselves if we're, able, if we're ever going to be able to truly help others that are around us, if that makes any kind of sense. Final segment. Back in a moment. In closing, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with us today. I know there was a little bit of rambling and incoherent thought and expressions in today's show. It's a very, it's a huge topic when it comes to religion and spirituality because there's such a incredible, again, incoherent. It's such a massive idea and, and something that so many of us are trying to understand and unpack. Given all the things that have gone on in our lives and are going on in our lives, how we parent, how we do our jobs, how we relate with our significant others, how we negotiate the things in our lives. But when it comes to what happens when this particular experience is over, whether you believe that when it's over, it's over, we go on the ground, it's lights out, that's it. Or if you believe that there is something else after this, even though we might not know exactly what it is. I stumbled across something last night um, before I got into bed. And it's from a book that I have owned for years and have not read 
all the way through to the end yet because it's it's a pretty it's a pretty serious undertaking. What is there like thirteen, almost fourteen hundred pages in this book? Some of you may know it, some of you may not. It's a book called The Course in Miracles, and there's a small paragraph talking about the last judgment or what happens during that transition. And for the outro today, I was going to read this. You can tell me what you think. Leave a comment. Um, Right into the show if you'd like. Come over and find us on the TikTok channel um, or even on Facebook. Those pages are still up and exist. I'd love to get your take on it, but it goes like this. Quote, the last judgment is one of the most threatening ideas in your thinking. This is because you do not understand it. Judgment is not an attribute of God. It was brought into being only after the separation, when it became one of the many learning devices to be built into the overall plan. Just as the separation occurred over millions of years, the last judgment will extend over a similarly long period and perhaps an even longer one. Its length can, however, be greatly shortened by miracles, the device for shortening but not abolishing time. If a sufficient number become truly miracle-minded, this shortening process can be virtually immeasurable. It is essential, however, that you free yourself from fear quickly because you must emerge from the conflict if you are to bring peace to other minds. In other words, regardless of what we might think or what we've convinced ourselves that we know is going to happen after this life is over, do the best you can to not go into those suppositions or or those assumptions with any kind of fear. Because at the end of the day, to do so, for any of us, myself included, to do so, would mean that we are being fearful of something that we don't understand. Don't we do that enough here? Aren't we fearful enough when it comes to whether or not we're going to be able to make a house payment or a car payment? Send one of our or all of our kids to school? Fearful enough about whether or not we're going to be able to create a safe and rewarding life while we're here. Do we really need to add this component of fear about what's going to happen when this experience is over to the equation? It really serves no purpose. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve me. It serves none of us in no way. Can we have questions? Yes. Can we find comfort? Or can we find a way to be okay without knowing for sure. I think we can. The choice is yours, as always. Don't ever stop asking questions. I don't care if you've been a churchgoer your entire life or you've never stepped foot in a church. I don't care if you've been reading books on spirituality your entire life or you've never cracked the spine on one. It makes no difference. But we can start today to try to learn more about those things In which case, and in turn, will teach us more about ourselves, who we are, what we think is possible, or what we think could be waiting for us when this experience is over. In any case, or in either case, keep learning, keep reading, keep studying, keep asking questions. And hopefully you have people like that 
who do the same thing and who want the same things in your life that you can share these conversations with. It, it makes a world of difference being able to have dialogue like this and not just surface level conversations, you know, about the weather or even how the kids are doing in little league. I understand these conversations happen, but imagine if you could be having deeper conversations like this on a more regular basis without feeling like your brain is being twisted into a pretzel. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All that being said, as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Atypical Man podcast, getting better at these, picking up a little bit more steam, putting more of these out as time permits, recording a little here in the morning before work or after work or before bed, and just assembling as time permits. So please do not be strangers. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Like I said, don't forget to come over and see us at the Atypical Man TikTok page, now called the Blue Collar Counseling page, uh, now that I think about it. Facebook pages are still there. Don't be shy. Come over and say hello. All that said, until next time, my name is Caleb, and you've been listening to the Atypical Man.